everybody. What's up, Hayward? What's up, Fremont? So good to see you. Wow, can I get a little response here? Man, everybody's asleep. Thank you. It's good to see you. I hope you look in your program and take your outline out and follow along and take some notes. Man, I was wondering where all my Halloween candy went. Now I know, right? You know, when Pastor Paul told me about this series, I was so excited because I love heroes, and I thought we were, I was going to get to talk about hero makers. Dimitri is my favorite hero maker. That guy, he makes a mean sandwich. I was so excited. I love to eat, but, but then you know what? I, Paul made it clear to me, he cleared up the misunderstanding, and I was even more excited because I get to talk about the hero maker's mission, the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. Now, I, I do hope tomorrow you get to eat some good food at the, during the big game. I'm not allowed to say the name of the big game. Uh, you know, uh, the lawyers could sue me. But uh, how many of you here are team, team Patriots? Who's here for the Patriots tomorrow? All right. Who's here for team not Patriots? Uh, or otherwise known as the Rams, right? Okay, so I think that's the, I think that's the dividing line, but... You know, I hope you have a good time tomorrow, but I want to talk to you about something really important tonight. Last week, Pastor Paul talked about the most important thing about what we believe and who we are as followers of Christ. He talked about Jesus, the ultimate hero. And in Acts 4.12, I hope you've been reading along, doing your soaps this week. In Acts 4.12, it was one of our readings this week. Luke writes, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, this was Peter preaching. Salvation is found in no one else. Could you underline that phrase? There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name. You know, only Jesus can save us. And you say, save us from what? Why do we need to be, to be saved? We need to be saved from our sins because the Bible says we're all sinners and our sins cut off our relationship with God. We're like spiritually dead and we can't fix ourselves we can't be good enough and there's no one else who's ever claimed to be able to save us from our sins not buddha not muhammad no hindu god not superman or batman only jesus the bible is very clear if you believe the bible and if you believe jesus jesus said he's the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him he's the only name that's why a few years ago i bought this t-shirt I usually don't buy something if it's full price, but I paid full price for this T-shirt because I love it. This, this T-shirt represents my hero, Jesus. It says, Saved by the King. And at the bottom of this shirt, it has a verse from Isaiah. It says, The Lord is our King. It is He who will save us. So I paid full price. I paid full price so I could wear this shirt. I love this shirt. But not only is Jesus the ultimate hero, Jesus is the ultimate hero maker. He's the ultimate hero maker. That's the first feeling on your outline. I hope you'll write that down. Here's what Jesus said about himself. If you ever wonder, well, why on earth did Jesus come here? He told us plain and simple. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to earth on a search and rescue mission for people who were dead in their sins, who were spiritually dead, who were cut off from God. Now, some people don't like this word lost. They don't like to be called lost. You know, it's not a put-down. Every one of us, the Bible said, all of us were lost because of our sins. We were all separated from God. And Jesus came to find us and rescue us. He came to bring us back into a relationship with God. 
And Jesus is more than just the greatest hero of all time, though. He's the ultimate hero maker because look what else he said. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent me to be a, a hero, to lay down my life so that you could be forgiven, I'm sending you to lay down your life and share this message and sacrifice so that people can know the true hero, the one who can bring them back into a relationship with God. And I hope as, as we're sharing together tonight that you will see yourself as God sees you. Someone he loves and cares about and someone who can make can be a hero maker, someone who can be a hero. I hope you'll see yourself as God sees you because Jesus commissioned us to go. He sent us just as God sent him. You know, look around this room. Just look, look for a minute. Look at some of the people around you. You know, God's calling each and every one of you to be a hero, to step up and answer the call. I mean, you in the back there in Fremont, and you over the side there in Hayward, God's calling you. He's talking to each one of us. And I know a lot of you are thinking, who, me? What can I do? I mean, that's what I felt when God called me, when I heard God's call, when someone stood up and challenged me, just like I'm challenging you right now. What can I do? I didn't feel worthy. Me, a selfish sinner who was so uncomfortable speaking in public, didn't want to be the center of attention. But what I learned is when you surrender to Jesus, when you surrender your life to him and you say, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. God fills you with his spirit. He gives you his power, his Holy Spirit. And when you insert Jesus into any life, you can be a hero. When you insert Jesus into your life, you can be a hero. Look at the Apostle Paul in the Bible. And he couldn't have been further from Jesus. He was hunting people down, dragging them off to prison to be killed and tortured for their faith. And he came to know Jesus Christ, and he became one of the greatest heroes in the Bible when you insert Jesus into someone's life. And what does God call us to do? What is the hero maker's mission? It's real simple. Write it down there. Make disciples or followers. Make disciples. That's what a disciple is. It's a follower, someone who's committed to following someone, to learning from them, to become like them. Right before Jesus went back to heaven, he, he called his, his disciples, his followers together, and he commissioned them. It's called the Great Commission. He said, go and make followers. Go and make disciples. We circle that word. That's a hero maker's mission. Go and make followers. And he said, go and make disciples of all people in the world. Not just your people, not just the Jewish people, but of every ethnic group, every race, every tongue in the world. He said, go and make followers. And then he said, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We get a pretty good picture of God, the Trinity there. But I want you to circle that word baptize. Circle that word baptize. First you begin to follow, then you, you get baptized. And maybe for some of you, you've been following Christ for a long time, but you've never taken that step to get baptized. And maybe your next step of faith, the first step of faith you're going to take in 2019 is you're going to say, I'm going to get baptized, our next baptism. Be a part of the first baptism of 2019. And if you'd like to know more about that, next Saturday morning we're offering our Loving Christ class, 9 a.m. I'm going to be teaching it. I hope you'll come and join me. Come out and check that out. Find out more about what it means to have a relationship with Christ and what baptism is all about. Just a, just a one-hour class. So Jesus said, go and make followers, baptize them, and then what does he say do? Teach them to obey. Can you circle obey? Teach them to obey everything that I've taught you, and I will be with you always. 
And Jesus says, man, if you go and obey me and do what I've called you to do, I'll be with you, I'll help you, I'll empower you. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, telling other people about Jesus, loving them, helping them to come into a relationship with him. And that's what a hero maker does. And we, we kind of capture it this way in our vision statement as a church at Crossroads. I mean, we say a hero maker leads seekers to love Christ, love others, and live life on purpose. I mean, if you know the, the great commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, it's all about relationships. And we spell it out so simply. Love, love Christ, love others, and live life on purpose. What does it mean to live life on purpose? You get busy making heroes, helping other people connect with Jesus and beginning to follow him. And you kind of continue that cycle on and on. You know, when I think about our church, there's so many heroes in our church family. People who, who are invested, using their gifts and talents and abilities and helping people to know about Jesus. And I know if I start, if I mention a few, I'll leave a bunch of others out. So I hope I don't offend anybody. But I just wanted to mention a few people that always, just always impress me. You know, Jackie DeBitty, who loves our kids, and she's been doing it for years. Man, she could be retired, sitting on a beach somewhere, taking it easy, but she shows up and gets on that hard floor with those kids every week. Man, a couple weeks ago, we heard from our council members, and I was really impressed about Michelle Matthews, who uses her job to tell people about Jesus and invite them to church. And so, you know, two of, two of our council members are people that Michelle... God used Michelle to come to church and learn about Jesus and fall in love with him. You know, every week in Hayward, they have to set up the kids' classroom. They have to put up pipe and drape and foam cushions on the floor. And if they're serving in Hayward with the kids, they don't get to go to the service. So if they want to come to a service, they have to show up in Fremont on Saturday night. So they have to go to church Saturday night and Sunday, talk about suffering for the Lord, right? And I look at people like Joyce Hemby and Helen Snyder and Maria Weston. Man, every week they're in there loving those kids. Man, just blesses me. And Derek Chan, he serves every other week, our sight and sound team. They're in, in Hayward, but even on his weeks off, a lot of times he shows up and helps, helps out, jumps in, pitches in. And I just see across our church, I see people who, who say, I'm going to use my time and energy to lead a life group or love some kids or, or pour into some teenagers. I'm going to give up my time. I'm going to get off the sofa, get, out, get away from the screen for a little while, and I'm going to go pour into someone else. And see, someone who's a hero maker, they've come into a relationship with Christ, and they realize that they have a part to play. They have a role to play in helping us to reach other people. And so they become heroes. They become heroes as they start to serve and share the love of Christ. And, and as they grow and they, they begin to get it, they start raising up other heroes. They begin to empower other people to do God's work. That's why we say you become a hero as you follow Christ and you make heroes out of other people. And a hero maker doesn't care who gets the credit. You know, Jesus said the greatest among you will be your servant. You remember when Jesus washed his disciples' feet? You know, he humbled himself, he got down, and he washed their feet. Author Bob Buford says, my fruit grows on other people's trees. He said, I want to be a cheerleader who gives permission, encouragement, and accountability to release the potential in others. He says, I'm trying to empower and encourage and cheer for other people to, to be heroes. Now, I don't want all the credit. I want to empower them so they can go out and do it. And, you know, our pastor, Pastor Paul, he's a great example of this. Man, he's a great example of empowering other people and 
seeing what people can be and challenging them to be a hero. And hero makers, they realize their scorecard at the end of their life is not going to be measured by what they, just by what they did, but how they raise up other leaders who are going to continue to multiply that through the years. See, a hero maker goes from being the center of the story to raising others up to be in the center of God's stories. Now, I want to point out a few things about heroes and hero makers. First, number one, heroes have limits. I mean, you know, no superhero can be everywhere all the time. Now, as God, Jesus can be everywhere, but as Jesus on earth as a human being, he was limited to one place. And we have limits of time and energy and place. We can only be in one place at one time. When I lived in Korea for two years, man, I, I spent time with people. I could spend as much time as I wanted with my Korean friends and new people. I met people every day that just wanted to practice English and talk to me. And I had chances to tell them about Jesus and get in Bible studies with them and have lunch and eat. And I just wore myself out. And there were still just millions of people around me. I, couldn't, I could only touch so many. And I quickly learned I can't do, do it by myself. I've got to get some other people to help me. I have limits. And what happened in the Bible when the, the disciples, you know, in the first church, what happened when they reached the limit of their time and energy? What happened? It was a great example, again, from our, our readings this week in Acts chapter 6. When I was reading in Acts this week, this passage really hit me. Man, the church, the church was doing great. This is the first church. They've got the message. They've got a, they've got a huge responsibility to, to carry the message of Jesus to the world, and, and they're thriving. But then they hit a major problem that could have wrecked the whole thing, could have destroyed what they were doing. Look what it says. It says, in these, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So in those days, widows had a hard time to make money on their own. Most, most ladies couldn't just go out on their own to make money. If their husband died, they didn't have kids to take care of them. They were struggling, so the church was taking care of the needs of the people. And uh, these, these Hellenists and the Hebrews, they were both racially Jewish people, but one group was more Jewish in culture and practice, and the other was more like the Greeks around them, the Romans around them. And so one group felt neglected, and they began to bicker and and quarrel, kind of like your kids in the back seat on a long road trip, right? Oh, she got more than me. No, he got more than me. And they started, they started to be in this, this fighting, quarreling. And just think, if that had been allowed to continue, it would have grown and that church would have split. And here this first church that was to be an example to the world of Christ and how he adopts us into his family, it would have been shattered. In fact, in Acts it says the church, people knew the church were followers of Christ because of their love. And so that was one of the, the key strengths of the church. And so they said, man, we, we can't allow this division to get in there. Now, just, so, just kind of a side note, if you want to know, it says the, the church continued to increase. There were about 5,000 members at this point. The first church had become a mega church. I know a lot of times I hear people say, I don't like a big church. But, you know, God wants to reach people. He wants to use us. And as the church gets bigger, the way you stay connected is you get into a small group. And as the church grew, naturally there was some conflict. And that's why we, we at Crossroads, we regularly offer a class called Resolving Conflict. Because we want to do our part. God's given us so much instruction and advice about how to, to restore broken relationships. And we want to offer that class. So you watch your program for when that class comes around again.
So here's what happened. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. I mean, they had a big responsibility. They needed to teach God's word to 5,000 people. And i got to be honest, man, if I was in their situation, my first instinct, if there's a problem, is I want to run and help with that problem. I want to get involved. I want to do everything. But sometimes when I run and help with a problem, I'm not doing something else I was supposed to be doing. Does that make sense? Now, the, the disciples aren't saying that waiting on tables is not important. They just said, we can't do everything. We have limits. And in the body, the church family, we have different roles to play. And they said, we can't neglect our role to take care of this problem. So they very wisely said, uh, verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Kind of like our church council or our life group leaders. Often they, they get involved. They help resolve conflicts. These people are full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus. He was really into choir music. You know, if you look at his name, Procurus, he was really into choir music. He wasn't really into the rock music. But uh, that's what he liked. And there was a guy named Nicanor and Timon, you know, Timon and Pumbaa, their buddies. And then there was this guy named, I know there's a typo in the Bible here, because I know this guy's name has to be Parmesan. It's too close. Parmesan. It says Parmanus, but I'm pretty sure that's a typo. And Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They, they got these just regular people like you and me who were full of faith, and they called them to say, hey, we're going to commission you to take care of this problem, to be leaders. This is critical. And they prayed for them, and they laid hands on them, and they commissioned them, and they gave them permission, and they empowered them. And the beautiful thing is I think they gave these guys some confidence because just the next chapter or two, we see that Philip and Stephen are growing in their leadership, and they, they do some very heroic things. See, see, these disciples, these 12 disciples didn't feel like they had to do everything. They knew they couldn't do everything. They wanted to raise up some other people to do it. To me, it's kind of like watching the Warriors play. I love watching the Warriors play. And uh, I just love the way they play basketball. You know, a lot of teams in the NBA, one or two guys are the scorers. They get the ball. It's like, like the other three guys are standing around on offense half the time, right? But the Warriors, they, they don't care. They want to pass the ball around. If somebody's having a really good night, they keep throwing in the ball. Hey, you put it in the basket. You're, you're doing good tonight. I don't care who gets the credit. You put it in the basket. I love it with, when one of the bench players gets in the game, like Alfonso McKinney or Joe Looney. They get in the game, and what do they do? Man, they, I, think the, I think the stars love to set those guys up for a basket. They love to see them win. I see them cheering when they make a good play. When they're on the bench, the stars, and they see one of these guys make a good play, they're cheering from, for them. They, they want to make heroes out of everybody on the team, and that's what God calls us to do as his followers. The more people we get involved, the stronger we are. And see, what's the result? What's the result? Because they didn't take care of the problem themselves. They, they empowered some other people to do it. Look what it says. Verse 7, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Can you circle that word, multiplied? Up to this point, every time it talks about the church and how many people were involved, it just said God added to their numbers. This is the first time it says it multiplied, began to grow more. I mean, think about it. Would you, would you rather have $200 more in your next paycheck? Or would you rather have two times your normal paycheck? 
I want some multiplication in my paycheck. Pastor Paul, I hope you're listening. I want some multiplication, not addition, okay? It's important. So they had this change in their thinking. It was a critical shift in their thinking of, from thinking that, that we've got to do everything to we've got to raise up other people to do it. Because heroes have limits. They can only do so much by themselves. Batman can only save Gotham. He can't save all the cities, right? Number two, heroes see the crowds through Jesus' eyes. Now, how many of you like crowds? You like being in crowds? I don't really like crowds. I'm just being, I'm kind of not real proud of it, but I'm just, I try to avoid crowds. So how do you feel when you see the crowds at Costco? When you're rolling up to the checkout line or you're trying to get through the aisle. How do you feel when you see the crowds on 880 driving through Fremont or Hayward or, or 680 you're trying to get up, you know, go north in the evening? How do you feel when you see those crowds or you show up at your favorite restaurant and the line's out the door? Or you go to the theme park and you got to stand in line an hour and a half to ride a two-minute ride. How do you feel? Or the line to go to the restroom, ladies. How does it make you feel? Man, when I see a crowd, I like look at them like, man, this is a problem. That's a very selfish way to think. I'm just being real, okay? That's my human nature. But man, think about Jesus. Everywhere he went, people were following him. Crowds were coming to him because they had needs. He was teaching and healing. They followed him everywhere. It, you know, we even read about when he tried to get out of town. He tried to go across the lake to go away. To, I don't know what he did for fun, whether he was going on a fishing trip or a skiing trip or whatever. But he's trying to get away, and the crowds followed him to the other side of the lake. He couldn't even get away. And how did Jesus see the crowds? This is really important. Look what it says. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. I'm going to be trying to remember this verse when I'm in a crowd. He had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let me ask you this. How do you think Jesus sees you? I mean, how do you think he sees you? I think it's, it's easy for us to think sometimes, man, maybe Jesus doesn't even notice me. He's busy. I don't see him working in my life. Where is he right now? Or, or Jesus wouldn't really have compassion on me. He'd be upset with me because... I've been kind of inconsistent or flaky or sinful, and I, I, don't, I don't know if he's going to be looking at me with compassion. But the Bible says Jesus had compassion on them. And when he looks at you, in spite of all your flaws and your failures, when Jesus sees you, he has compassion. He loves you. He cares about you. And when you turn to him, he just, man, he wants to pour out his blessings and his love and his mercy on you. So he sees these, these crowds. They were harassed and helpless and and he says this to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Man, he says, pray for more workers. Can you make that one of your daily prayers? You know, I hope you pray for Crossroads, you pray for the pastors, I hope you pray for me especially hard, that God would, but I ask that you would pray that God would send more workers into his harvest field. We send more people to help. It's like, man, can you imagine? Look at this picture, the harvest. Look how that's a big harvest. And there's one guy out there trying to, I mean, can you imagine if you had to harvest all that by yourself? It's impossible. The harvest is huge. Do you know where we live? 95% of the people around us don't know Jesus. And, and it's easy to say, well, if they want to know, they could go to a church and they could find out. But a lot of them don't have anybody trying to shepherd them. They're, they're helpless because they're like sheep without a shepherd, and God's called us to go after them. 
And Jesus said, pray for more people to go into the harvest. The workers are few, but, but God, man, Jesus said, pray for more workers because God wants to know all these people. That's why I came. In Jesus' day, the harvest was everything. Man, if the harvest failed, if, if they didn't have a good harvest where they lived, if they had a drought or a flood and wiped all the crops out, they couldn't just get produce in from Florida or Mexico. They had, man, it was tough times. They couldn't ship around things as, as easily and as far as we could. And the harvest was so critical. And Jesus is making the point, man, the harvest matters. The harvest is important. That's why I came. And see, heroes, they see the crowds through Jesus' eyes and they take immediate action. That's the next thing I want you to write down. Take immediate action. Another time Jesus said to his disciples, he says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? Like, we got time. We can just kick back and wait on the harvest. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Do you underline that phrase, open your eyes? And you can't see people. First, we need to see people with Jesus' eyes. And then we need to realize there's people around us every day who need to know Jesus. Now, I know where we live, we don't, a lot of us haven't had much experience with a farm. Anybody here grow up on a farm? few of you, right? I grew up near a farm. I had an uncle who had a farm. I'd love to go visit my uncle. My uncle Cecil in the countryside of Virginia raised corn and peanuts and hogs. And uh, man, when the harvest is ripe, when the harvest is ready, you know what? You drop everything else. That's your number one priority. When the harvest was in, my uncle was out from sunup to sundown and sometimes in the dark with his big tractors and the lights on and calling in more people to work because if you don't get the harvest, when it's ready, it's too late. you got to go after the harvest. You can't go, well, you know, I'm not feeling too good today. Or, man, there's a game on. I, I drag, I'll get it tomorrow. You, no, you got to go after it. If you don't, this is what you wind up with. Like this basket of rotting lemons. Yeah, ugh. if you don't go after it, man, it's going to rot. It's going to go, it's going to spoil. And Jesus says, open your eyes, don't delay. He's stressing the priority of the harvest. He says, you guys have got to focus on the people around you. You've got to see them with eyes of compassion. And you've got to get off your butts and do something. You've got to get busy. You've got to get busy helping, loving people so that helping them learn to love Christ, helping them to learn to love others, and helping them to live their lives on purpose. But you've got to get busy. You've got to be intentional. It's so easy to get caught up with making a living and get getting your kids around the school, taking care of your house, paying all your bills. It's easy to forget that there's a harvest out there around us. Can you imagine if no one had ever taken the time to tell you about Jesus or share the fact that he loved you? And how would you be living your life today if you didn't know Jesus? Man, somebody some point in time, they were a hero because they invested some time and energy. They took a risk and they told you about Jesus. And there are people out there who just need someone to be a little patient with them, to give them some time, to come alongside them. There's a lot of good programs we could start at Crossroads. There's a lot of things people wish we could do. A lot of them would be fun. They'd be, be good for us in the church. But we don't start stuff just for us. I mean, we have life groups to help us learn to grow, help us learn to love Christ, learn to love others, help us become better followers of Jesus so that we can be living our lives on purpose, which is going after the harvest. We, have, we don't have Spartan groups and Zumba group because we got a lot of out-of-shape people in our church. Man, 
We can go to the gym for that. But man, we offer a Spartan group or a Zumba group or whatever else kind of thing we can do. Man, what a great opportunity to bring one of your friends with you who's out of shape and needs some help, right? Bring somebody who doesn't know Jesus, somebody who's lost. It's just another way for us, another way for us to be able to create places for people to come and begin to learn about Jesus. See, people have a lot of misconceptions about Jesus and who he is. We all have value systems in our life. We all have something that matters to something we're living for. You know, our culture says live for yourself. Get all you can get. Buy it. You know, make as much money as you can. Buy all the things. Have the nicer house, the nicer car, all the stuff. But those things will never satisfy your soul. That's not what you were made for. You know, some people say, I'm not living for the things. I want to have the comfortable, easy life. I want to have a pleasure. Well, there's nothing wrong with having fun or having things, but if that's what you're living for, it's always going to disappoint you. Jesus wants us to change our perspective and live for what matters to God. That's living for the... What matters to God is the harvest to reach people for Christ. You know, Jesus isn't calling you to leave your job and all become pastors. He's saying, man, see your job, not just as a job and a paycheck. See it as a field, wide unto harvest. See your school, see your neighborhood. There's people around you every day who are like sheep without a shepherd. So what do we do? What do I do, man? I see this harvest, and I, I think, man, what can I do? I'm going to grab my bucket. I'm going to go out into the harvest field, and I'm going to get busy, and I'm going to try to share with Christ and help as many people as I can. But I'm the lonely guy out in the field, and I go, well, I can only do so much. I know what I'll do. I'll get a bigger bucket. I'll work harder. I'll work longer. I'll, I'll, I'll push myself. And so I get a bigger bucket, but I can still, I'm just going to get tired after a while. I can only do so much. I have limits. But Jesus had a revolutionary principle. He says, pray for more workers. Get other people involved. Time is ticking. You think about your mission to go and make disciples, not to live for your comfort. First responders, what do they do? They run into a burning building while everybody else is running away. They run into the burning building unselfishly while we run away to save ourselves. Well, Jesus, he, he came down from heaven. He's like, he went into this messy earth to save people and he calls us to follow him don't live just for yourself to see people through god's eyes and so jesus wants us number three he wants us to capture this principle heroes mentor and raise up more heroes heroes mentor and raise up more heroes so you become a hero when you take up the mission of making followers of jesus and jesus the bible says this jesus chose 12 to be with him and he wanted to send them out to preach. The first thing I want you to notice is he wanted to spend time with them. And that's why we, we started off this year talking about soap. We wanted to help you get engaged and spend time with Jesus. We wanted you to connect with him, allow him to pour into your life through his word and through his spirit. And why did he call him to spend time with him? He wanted to send him out to preach. Now, for most of us, that doesn't mean standing up and preaching. But he wants you to share something. And you're going, man... I don't know what to share. What do I tell people? Well, if you don't know what to tell people, come to the Loving Christ class next Saturday morning. Spend an hour with me next Saturday morning. I'll share with you the very basics of the faith. Many of you have been through that class. I'll give you a review. That's what God wants us to share with people, how we can have a relationship with him through Christ. Now, you ever thought about once you 
you were lost, now you're found, you have a relationship with Jesus. Why didn't Jesus take you up to heaven when you were saved? Why did he leave you here? I mean, he's got you. What did he leave you here to do? Someone said there's only two things you can't do in heaven, sin and tell people about Jesus. So why do you think Jesus left you here? Some of you are going, sin? No. <laughs> left you here to tell people about Jesus, to share his love and however he wired you, whatever way he wired you to do that. And see, that's our mission as a church, to help equip you to do that. That's why we offer these classes. Look what it says in Ephesians. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church, the body of Christ. Like the guy said in the video, we're to be the Alfreds. We're to encourage you to be Batman, to go out into the world, go out in, uh, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, and share Christ with people. And here's the beautiful thing. Paul says this, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them to others. So think about this with me. Let's just say I'm out in the harvest field. I realize I can work my tail off, but I'm only one person with one bucket. So let's just say, man, I, I get some of my friends here. Let's say I get 10 or so of you to help me, and I get you a bucket. I, I help you to see yourself as a hero. You go out and share Christ and love others and serve in the church. And now you're out there in the field with me because, man, the field, the harvest is going to rot. If we just leave it there, we got to do something. So you get out. I mean, think what we could all do. Be like, all my buddies are out in the field with me, right? And you get the idea, right? That'd be great. And we can all go out. But imagine every one of you that took up a bucket and helped me, imagine you started getting your friends to take up a bucket. So we go from addition to multiplication. Does that make sense? So now it's like we've got a field of harvesters out in the field, right? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't that be a lot better way to work? If, if I have 10 people helping me and each of you get 10 people helping you, we start to multiply. If you know anything about money, it's like the, photo, uh, the difference between simple interest and compound interest. Man, we just exponentially grow. And it's not about, I don't, it's not about growing crossroads. doesn't matter. Doesn't, I don't care. If we can reach them for Christ, they can, wherever they wind up, we want to reach people. Help people know Jesus and get busy about raising up other, becoming heroes and then making heroes out of other people. And think with me, what if, what if every one of you here tonight, you saw yourself as a hero? Instead of seeing yourself as, well, what can I do? Or, man, I'm so busy. Or, I don't know what I'd say. Or, man, if you saw yourself as a hero and you answered God's call, what could we do together? If all of us said, man, I'm here on a purpose. I'm not here by accident. Well, as we wrap up, I've got a few questions there on your outline. I just want you to be chewing on these. I want you to ask yourself, what is the purpose of your life? What's the greatest win for you? Is it to retire early, live a life of ease, or, or is it to take as many people to heaven with you as possible? Maybe another way to think about it is, what are your goals for your kids? You want your kids to grow up and have a good job and be successful and have a great marriage? Man, that's the great goals. Or do you want your kids to not only do that, but change the world, tell people about Jesus? Next thing I want you to chew on is with God's help, what is possible? What could you do if you weren't afraid? 
If you really believe that the God of the universe who called you and said if you obey him, he'll be with you and he'll give you his power, what would you do if you weren't afraid to step out and risk failing? If you weren't afraid to risk embarrassment, what would you do if you really believe that with God anything is possible? And finally, I hope you'll take these home and pray through this and talk, think about it, talk it over. Where should I invest right now? The harvest is ripe. I can't wait until I, I know everything and I'm, I need to get involved now. Where should I invest right now? And if you think, man, I just don't even know where to start, then let me encourage you. Come to our Discovering Purpose class next Saturday. See, we've got we to gotta get, take action. The harvest is ready. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me. And Father, as we pray, I pray you speak to each person here tonight. God, I pray that you would help them to understand that you see them with compassion. And that you see them as gifted, called ministers. And Lord, I pray that you would help them to hear your voice. What are you calling them to do? Call them to work with children or teenagers, share their faith at work, inviting a neighbor to church, bringing someone to Alpha. What are you asking them to do, God? I I just pray they clearly hear it and they would have the courage to say yes. God, I pray that you would change this world around us. 95% of people around us are lost to an eternity apart from you. Lord, that should break our hearts. Help us to see the crowds as you see the crowds with compassion and not as irritants. Help us to see them, God, as you see them. Thank you for Jesus who came and saved me. And he can use a broken, sinful, selfish person like me. God, I know he can use anyone here. And I just pray that you would stir us up. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.